0: Okay, So, Anastasia and I met. I'm going to look at some notes here until I get less nervous. Um, Anastasia and I met eight year, about eight years ago. We were in a writing group together. And I remember being new and seeing you walk in for the first time. I think you had stepped away for a little bit and then you came back. Um, or maybe I'm wrong. Uh, okay. But that was what my memory was says and so but I don't trust it and so neither should you um so anyway you were so beautiful and so like you just kind of you were just dazzling and um and you're so nice I was like oh my gosh what the how is this such a person here on the planet and um and then you read and I was absolutely blown away um so for anyone here who has not read Blurred Fates yet uh, you should know that Anastasia, not just in Blur Fates, but in everything that she writes, is truly brilliant. And she's the type of writer that, with a talent that is rare, that you just um, don't come across that often. And I'm always just blown away, like I said. Um, so, anyway, you made me feel lucky to be in that group because of your talent. And I so I felt like I was in... Um, like sort of special, I was in a special place where I was really going to learn, um, and you have the kind of personality that is so generous that you make everyone around you better, so I knew that when I brought my words in, and in the beginning I remember my, my I was always shaking because I was so scared, and you just, every kind of feedback that you gave was always so constructive, I don't know how you're so diplomatic, I could really use some lessons, <laughs> <But> <laughs> But you are so constructive. And every time you gave me feedback, I was like, even if it was stuff I didn't want to hear, I was like, dang it, she's right. Even if it might have taken me a day, but I was like, oh, she got it. She's like, she just nails it. So I love, I'm telling you this so that I can always give you stuff. stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So you will always, because I always feel like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I needed. If I know that I'm like off by a little bit you know I give it to her and then I'm like now it's so much better it's like just I don't know you complete you make everything better like I said so um let's see um I have known blurred fates since it since it was a baby Mm -hmm. and my book was a baby so I feel especially excited to talk about it tonight and to see it come to fruition and to honor you for this amazing story. She's won a lot of awards um, and they're well-deserved and it's very, makes me very happy. Um, I was gonna tell you, so not only she, so this is a psychological thriller, which we'll talk about, but she's also really funny and she can kind of just hit every genre and I'm always kind of amazed by that. like with everything like short long she's an amazing performer and speaker um so it's pretty cool and then I was going to say um I remember she's really good at writing poignancy and so I remember when I first started in the writing group I was sort of in a weird bad place like emotionally Mm -hmm. and I was kind of like it was easy to um or not easy but I cried a lot (laughs) just like a crier I'm not a crier right now but um, at the time, I was, very, I was very, like, sort of moved to tears easily. And every time you read, I was like, ooh, ooh. Like, It's so funny, because my first impression of you is, like, just, like, sort of what a shining star you were. And I'm like, I think <laughs> my first impression was probably a little bit like, oh, geez, here comes the weepy one. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. No. Um, but let's get back to this, the question and answer. Um, and I just want to make one other quick, say one other quick thing, and then okay. your your turn. Okay. Um, so in light of the global events that are happening right now, um, I know it's hard for people to join together because it feels um, like a hard time to sort of celebrate and, um, and commune, but I also think that it's more important than ever to educate and connect and sometimes distract ourselves. Um, and because of this need that is more important than ever. We um, need content, and content requires writers. And so I think it is with great respect for this mission that I'm more proud than ever to be here talking with Anastasia at this beautiful library. So um, regarding the necessary distraction, education and connection, um, why do you think we are drawn as humans to thrillers mysteries, and any genres that have you reading between your fingers?
1: <laughs> so <laughs> I wrote a whole essay about this. Um, I think there's lots of theories about it. Um, my personal one is that like kids need fairy tales because, and there's this, this guy, Bruno Bettelheim, wrote this book, this, this whole book on why kids need fairy tales and why they're so um, critical to, to growth and development um, in little kids, and he talks about how in fairy tales, you horrible things happen. You know, there's kids getting burned in ovens, and like, and you know, like witches, and and so many mothers are gone, and you know their orphans or they're, they're sin- their 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 step parents are mean. You know, it's just all these horrible things. But at the end, there's usually a conquering of that. And the children get this feeling that they can conquer their fears and through reading or being read to they experience the pain they experience the emotions and then they feel and then they conquer it by the end you know there's always a usually a happy ending or at least a happier ending um, and I think that for adults mysteries and thrillers can serve a similar purpose because it allows you to face the things that you're most afraid of bad guys, secrets and lies, messed up families. Like, you know, in in this book, there's family of origin is very messed up, Um, mental illness, addiction, suicide, you name it, it happens in this family. And for a lot of people, I think reading that makes you kind of go, okay, well maybe my family's either not that unusual or not that bad, um, because look, this this person overcame all of that. and you're not necessarily thinking about it as you read. It's not like you're going, "Oh, yeah, okay." But over time, you kind of get that that satisfaction of this psychological victory that you have over the material. Um, and I think the the scary stuff, I think, is, is very similar. I think, like you know, you, you I don't like to be scared. But I will watch a scary movie and I will literally watch it like this. Like, yeah, like yeah, and yeah. The, the the fingers narrow or widen depending on how bad it is. And the whole time I've got this like <gasps> thing going on and I'm thinking to myself, I don't have to do this. In fact, Death <laughs> and I were once watching Alien together. And it was late at night. We were on a little writing retreat and it was late at night and We turned to each other, we were both like underneath the covers like this and it was the point where where the the creature bursts out of the guy's uh, chest and we knew it was coming and we knew it was coming because we'd seen it before and we're both like, oh wow! And we looked at each other we're like, we don't have to do this. We can actually just turn it off. Um, And so we did. But I think that that that's like there is that kind of feeling like when it's over there's this relief, there's this and it kind of gets you that feeling of, you know, I can do anything. I can, I can overcome anything. Um, so that's my personal, I think that's also mysteries in particular um, are very, well they can be very formulaic. And so for readers of mysteries, there's the you know what, the, the, at, the, at the beginning there's going to be a crime, there's going to be a murder, there's going to be a death, and then throughout the book you're going to, you know there's going to be there's going to be these red herrings and there's going to be dead ends and there's going to be, but at the end, they're going to solve it. And it's kind of that, that satisfaction of going through that process and, and finding the clues yourself and feeling this sense of accomplishment almost that you've, that you figured it out and that everything was right in the world, even when horrible, horrible things often happen. Um, one of the things that I've been fascinated by is going to mystery conferences mystery writers are some of the nicest people you've ever met. Like, seriously generous, kind, they're welcoming, they don't have a mean bone in their body, and then they write these horrible things about these horrible people. And I don't know, maybe they just get it out of their system so that they can be super nice in person, but um, it's, it's, it's interesting. But as, you know, so I wanted to ask people in the audience, like, (laughs) be <laughs> proud, our friends, our <laughs> friends. Yeah. Our friends. Um, so, who here likes to read mysteries or, or watch scary movies? And do you like? Do you like the feeling? Like, does it like? Do you are you scared, or do you like? I think I hate love it.
0: I don't like. I don't do it that often. But when I do it, I'm like, I hate this. But then I'm like, there's something like you said. It's satisfying.
1: What about you guys? I, want to Why? Try, I like mysteries, not so much scary, but I want to try and figure it out. Yeah, and the time I'm thinking, do I have it? Do I get it? Mm-hmm. So. And you, do you like it when they when you when they twist you around and yes, you it's wrong? Yeah, because if I guess it, I think oh, this was really it was too easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to challenge. But yeah, I think that's what like so for me in and writing it, it's it's interesting because. Um, People talk about writing being cathartic and healing and, you know, I worked through some of my own, you know, trauma stuff when I was writing this book, and I didn't realize I was doing that until after it was done, and people would ask me questions about it and I I, I, read, again, I think it was sort of an an unconscious or subconscious process that was going on as I was writing, but I do also have to say that I loved writing The Bad Guy. He was my favorite character to write. He was so awful. And I mean, so awful. And, but every time that I got to write him, I'd be like, ooh, 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 the mean thing. Like, I don't, (laughs) maybe there's something wrong with me. (laughs) But it was like, there's this sort of like, it's kind of like this gooey chocolate, ooh, ooh. Um, But I loved writing him. And um, I will have to say that my brother is here, my brother Michael, and when... Um, when the book when the book first came out, when the book first came out, he was like he read the beginning and he was like, "So where am I? When do I come in?" I'm like, "Michael, you do not want to be the brother in this <laughs> And he was like, "But I'm in there somewhere, right?" I'm like, "No, you're not in the book. You don't want to be in the book." And then I love this because he said, All Right, but in your next book." You can put me in the book. I don't have to be a main character. Like I could just be the guy at the gas station, like that the, the <laughs> they run into, and like, and you could just describe me, and then I'm there. I'm in the book. And I was like, okay. But you're not in the next book either. I'm sorry. i am put you in the one after that. Okay. But um, yeah. So no, it's it's also. Um, I did get a lot of initially, and in fact, the um, one of the a book club that I'm in. Um, Two of the women read the book, and we were meeting about a different book. And it was at my house, and so they were sitting there, and you know, they were kind of acting kind of weird during the meeting. And we were talking about this other book the whole time. And then everyone else got up to leave, and these two women said, "Do you mind if we stay for a minute? We just had some questions about." You know, and then one of them held up the book, a her bag, and I was like, "Oh!" And so they all the other women left and they were like, "We just we feel so bad. We feel like." We don't really know you, and we had no idea that you were going through this. And I was like, "Oh my God, no! It's not me. Like this is not me at all." But um yeah, a lot of, it, it, especially in the beta reading, I got a lot of people writing me like, "I feel so bad," you know. I also had a lot of people write me things about their own lives, which was mm-hmm. interesting. Um, to the point where I actually talked to a psychologist about like what do I do if somebody reveals something to me and tells me they've never told anyone, because that happened a couple times. I got emails from people. Wow. Saying I've never told anyone this, mm-hmm. but and then they told me this like pretty serious serious traumatic stuff. And I didn't I'm not qualified to counsel people, but I also didn't want to make make it seem like I didn't care. You know what I mean? So it's sort of it was a little bit dicey, yeah, yeah. dicey. Mm-hmm. But in the end, the psychologist told me just say thank you know um, thank you for sharing with me, and I encourage you to reach out to someone that's qualified to help you process all of this because this is a lot. You know, kind of. Yeah, that makes sense. It was, yeah, I couldn't really. But anyway, mm-hmm. all right. Um. So I kind of went off track there. Oh,
0: no, no. I, I pay. So <laughs> I had a question about, your, about the fact that it's a psychological thriller. But initially, you had it in a different genre. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I thought that was interesting. Because it's hard when you're looking at your own work to recognize not only what it is sometimes, but how it's going to land with other people. So, okay, but tell us about
1: how that, what happened. So when I first wrote this book, um, and Lindsay was, so I, in the reading critique, you bring in like eight pages every week and you read it to the group and then they kind of help you figure out where you're going wrong or where the where character arcs are off or even just this isn't setting right, maybe rethink it. Um, so anyway, I, you're writing these chapter by chapter, and you're kind of writing it and presenting it, and then moving on to the next one. And I and I also at the same time was starting to get involved in doing these um, narrative nonfiction performance pieces, which are short by their very nature. They're like about five to six pages, and then you read it aloud. And in writing those, there's a beginning, middle, and end. You know, it's it's a complete package. And. What I realized what I had done in the first draft of Flirt Fates was um, that each chapter was a little package, beginning, middle, end. And that was satisfying in a a little chunk, but the problem was you got to the end of the chapter and you were like, huh, okay. (laughs) And then why would you keep going, right? Like, oh, that was satisfying. Thank you, okay. And so I realized as a whole, I needed to create something unsettling or something that, or something, not necessarily a cliffhanger, but something that made you want to turn the page, made you want to go to the next chapter, because otherwise there's no reason for you to keep reading. And so I started in this second or third draft, I started putting in sort of this thread of uncertainty. And I moved some stuff around so that you didn't know always what was happening in the moment. You had to wait to find out why something had happened, or why something was distressing to some, a character, or why they were being triggered by something. And in the end, I think I gave it out to some people after the 1500s version. Um, and the beta readers came back, and they're like, oh, it's such a good psychological thriller. And I was like, why write a psychological thriller? What are you talking about? It is. And um, I still to this day, like I, I say it because everybody told me that it was. But when I first was, I had actually hired my, um, the book was uh, like the cover was decided, all kinds of things was happening. And I was talking to my PR person and she's like, well, we have to decide where we want to put it in terms of where we'll go on a shelf. And I was like, well, it's women's fiction with strong elements of a psychological thriller. <laughs> and she was
0: like, so it's a psychological and it's thriller. Not, and I'm like,
1: not, not really. It's like women's fiction. Strong elements of a psychological And I kept saying that, and she kept going, no, you can't. Like, you have to be like it is it is or it isn't. And so I still, to this day, kind of struggle with that. Do but. you
0: think, because like, we were talking about how like genre blending, like right now, sort yeah. of a... Um, Trend to blend genres, and I wonder now, like you know, with with this book, if that would be. It, but it's not. But it still needs a shelf, right? Like when you, so there's not like a genre blending shelf. So <laughs> well,
1: you know what's interesting is the, so um, so the last, Bowsher was just here, which is this big mystery conference, and the panel I was on was on blended genres, and I was talking about this book, and the other women had written like. Books that one of them was steampunk thriller. Another one was like, I mean, it was all these different mix, up, mashes up, mashups. And um, all of us felt very strongly that mm. the audiences are ready for that. Readers are ready to read things that are kind of a little bit not quite so defined. Yeah. And so maybe it's a trend that will, maybe there will be someday a you know blended genre when you're at the bookstore I don't know yeah. I hope so kind of yeah I did see a really funny meme the other day that I just want to tell you all about it was a you know how they at the bookstores they have all of the um you know the headings over the books it said mystery and all the books were turned like this <laughs> oh I saw that too yeah that's good um
0: so on your publishing journey was there anything besides the genre piece that was surprising to you? And, and what would you say was your favorite part?
1: Ooh, gosh, I can tell you what my, favorite, my least favorite part was. Um, <laughs> we could also go there. Yeah. No. Um, okay, surprising. So the, the good thing, so I went with a hybrid publisher, and the good thing is that you have a little bit more editorial control than you would if you're with a Big Five, where they basically, they give you your cover. Here's your cover, here's your title even. Like they, you, you lose that ability to kind of say, I don't wanna do that. Um, so they sent me five covers to choose from. And the first five are, were very different. Like one was a broken pencil. One was, you know, I mean, just a broken pencil, mm-hmm. that's it. Um, another one had a woman looking in a mirror and her face, the, the part of her face where you would see her face was torn away. Um, and then there was this one. And Lindsay, you'll remember this, because I called Lindsay, and I was like, they've got some woman wearing a red gown. Like, there isn't even a red gown in the book. Like, I don't know what this is. Like I was like, I guess I'm going to have to put a red gown in the book, which I then did. Um, but I was like, it's a mole gown. She, like, she wears, like, yoga pants most of the time. What is this? But they... The, The designer really felt that it was, like, catchy, right? It makes you want to pick it up. You don't know exactly what it is. And I did want something blurry, and I wanted something with a crack mirror because those were parts of the book. But this woman in the red dress, like, there was no woman in the red dress in the book. Mm. And I just couldn't wrap my head around that. So that was one of the most confusing things. But then, and and when, when I went back and put in, it actually helped because I put in this whole scene about her with this dress, and... It was actually became kind of an interesting plot point in the book, which came from the cover. Not ah. Okay, now I have weird. to read it again because yeah.
0: I don't remember that
1: part <laughs> of oh, the red the dress. Red dress, yeah. I can, I can find it for you. Well, Why don't you read a part for us. Yeah, yeah I can read, read a part you. for you. Um, in the meantime, while I find my reading glasses. Oh, perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think maybe we'll do a quick giveaway too. Oh, you're so. Break it up. Th- uh-oh. There goes the bar. Okay. All right. Just, okay. So we're going to do a giveaway. Everybody get your tickets out. <laughs> this first giveaway is in honor of Banned Books Week. Oh, yeah. um, So I was asked to mention this display over here, here is in, in, is about the banned books. I mean, if you guys want to take, you know, participate afterwards, um, it's a section where you can... Write books, banned books that you've read, and things that you're doing to try to raise awareness about the issue of the folks. books. So, and these are some ideas, of things that you can do. And um, yeah, so, and then we have banned book stickers. Oh, sorry, awesome. teacher,
0: we lost our ticket. Oh, Uh-oh. no. Here, I'll get you a new.
1: I'll get you another That's one. It's okay. I'll find. No. No. No, no, I found Oh, there it is. So, um, and then I also have, it, two of the packages have these little, it's just a little tiny notebook that you can either put in your purse or you can put it next to your bed. I always like having something next to my bed because I wake up in the middle of the night with this great idea. And, and then I think, oh, I'll remember. And then in the morning I'm like, oh. what was it? Yeah, I don't. So that's for your nighttime reminders, or for your purse, if or pocket, or whatever. Anyway, um, okay. And the book is below. Oh, awesome!
0: I can't either. The books that are banned are really confusing. Like what? Yeah, the
1: winner is. Anyway. (gasps) Eight 8 It's hey. very appropriate this awesome. Carol is a writer, so. My son works for Pen America, which the, is an advocate for our, um, app journalists, and they've brought a whole article on my family. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. So I had a, I had a, a section I was going to read. Um. Okay. So this is, I don't know how long, sorry, oh, this is, um, if you all get bored, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're fine. Okay, um, so your people, how many people have already read this book? Most of you, okay, good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry, those of you who haven't, just maybe. <laughs> maybe <a question>. um, <laughs> So this is a section where she's, she's in, she's in um, talking with her therapist. And there's no children around. Okay. Um, so she goes in and she, she's got this, she, she has this idea of what she's going to talk about with the therapist. And she starts out and um, she's just come back from visiting her father's house. Um. Years of therapy, and I'm still taken aback at how often, when basically left to my own devices, I surreptitiously identify my own issues, the things I should discuss if I let myself go there. Today, energized, I'm going there. She just said, "Uh, did I tell you about the gift? The therapist says, no, you didn't. Well, apparently, my mother left me a box of her writing with a note. As I speak these words, I am there. The smell of rust and rot, the cloying polyester fabric of the red dress brushing against my Mm -hmm. face as I crouch over the box, reading the top page. Dearest Catherine. Dearest Catherine, that's how she started it. It's pages and pages. My voice trails off as I try to reroute myself in the present, studying the neutral beige wall behind Dr. Farber's head, the sepia picture of a covered bridge that hangs there. I've never even noticed it before. Dr. Farber waits. I shake my head. She must have left it for me with my dad or hidden somewhere. I guess he found it after I left and put it there in the closet, along with this handwritten, guilt-ridden will. Strange, though, that he would care about some box of her shit when it was obvious he didn't care about anything else. Did I tell you he'd become a hoarder? There were newspapers, bottles, trash everywhere. No, not everywhere. Not in my room. It was pristine, exactly as I left it. No clutter. I stopped talking, struck by the clarity of this image. My desk... My bed, desk, blown poster, pencil, alarm clock. Not much ever, no more now. I sigh, audible recognition that I have left my good mood behind. Such a tenuous grip on everything, my mind, my mood, my emotions. I want to remember, but don't want to remember. I want to remember what my mother left for me but I am petrified about what I will find. I want my father's household, but don't want to talk to the realtor or the waste removal company she recommended. I want Daniel out of my life, but wonder if I will ever truly be rid of him, whether I ever can ever move past what he represents. I trip onward. Apparently, there are companies that deal with hoarders. Who'd have known? The same companies that take care of crime scenes or hazardous waste or when someone dies alone in a house. And there are regulations for how it all has to be cleaned up. Turns out, if my dad had died inside the house, I would have had to disclose that to a future buyer. Not sure if there's a statute of limitations on that or whether I'd have to tell them about my mom. My throat tightens. The things you learn, so true. I'm learning things I never really wanted to know. Anyway, this company, Aftermath, which, well, I don't know what to say about that name. They come in, check for biohazards, clear the shit out, clean and sanitize everything according to these regulations. And then then they actually give you a certificate that says it's safe and habitable. As if that house was ever safe and habitable. They are going to my father's house tomorrow to assess and set a schedule. The irony is, it'll probably be ripped down before anyone lives in it again, so it's all a huge waste of time. Too bad they can't just bulldoze the whole thing. Newspapers, bottles, trash, and all. Including Daniel, lying in a drug-induced stupor. That would be the best. Is your brother involved in this at all, in these decisions about the house? Did I say his name? I definitely did not. Why does she want to talk about him so badly? Daniel, no, he isn't involved. Thank God. I don't want to talk to him any more than I want to talk about him. He hasn't called again since Tuesday. Hopefully he never will. Though I'm learning, slowly, that you can't hide, can you? Hiding from Daniel, hiding and being found, fuck. I've decided to hire an attorney, I say, to deal with the sale of the house. Maybe I'll just give Daniel all the proceeds, get him out of my life for good. Make it possible for him to buy a shitload of heroin and blow his brains out. Do you think that would work? I don't know, but it's certainly worth a try. I don't want him anywhere near me or my children. I don't need any money from my father. I went up there for closure, and now I stop. How did we get here from the coping strategies worked? All right, I'll stop there. That gives you an idea. The book is written in first person, and it's, as you all know, it's very much an internal, like, like it's her internal monologue with what's happening outside of her and there are times when she is a very unreliable narrator um which i think is what contributed it to be feeling like a bit of a psychological thriller because there's a point in the book where you don't know if you can trust what she's saying at all yeah
0: um okay i want to i want to i have one more question and then i want to open it up to other people's questions and then let you um sign books for anyone um so, my last question. I have two, but I'm going to leave the last one cuz I feel like somebody else will answer, will ask it. Is what's do you have advice for aspiring writers but also, and I don't know that this would change, but aspiring writers or and or aspiring thriller writers. Maybe it's not the maybe it's the same.
1: Um I think for for ev- every writer, whatever genre you think you're going to want to write in, or you think you might turn your book turns into, is read in that genre. Like kind of because I had I'd read some psychological thrillers because I actually enjoy them, um, and so I'd read things like Gone Girl, The Girl on the Train, um, Sharp Objects, like those kinds of things. Um, but I found that the more I read them, the more I started to see how you can wind. Like, you, it's, it's like learn, it's master classes in what it is you're trying to do. And, but you have to also read it as a writer, not as a reader, if that makes sense. Like, so there are times when I turn on my reading hat and I'm just reading for pleasure and I'm not thinking about why does this work or where's the character going or, you know, I'm just simply absorbing the book. But there are other times when I'm reading as a writer and I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. Okay, go back two chapters. Where did she plant that? Where did he, or where did he, wait, why did I think that this was going this direction? Go back and figure out how they did it. Because it's it's basically like you're learning from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so f- for thriller writers, I would definitely recommend that. Because thriller writing, is it, it's its own little thing because you do have to put in these threads throughout the book they're like little plot threads that and sometimes the threads are deliberately wrong and you have to learn how to do that in such a way that it's believable enough that the reader follows with it goes with you on that but also not so believable that when you find out that it's not true that you're like pissed off and <laughs> well, that was, and and I think the other thing is, is it's it's really important not to manipulate your readers, like I, because I've read some books where I feel like it was so manipulative, and, and I, I remember once reading a book, and that like the an entire book was leading you towards this really clear conclusion, and then at the end they threw in this character that had not been in the book at all, and that that was the person that did it, and I was just like kind of pissed off. I felt manipulated. I felt like, you know, you're not being honest as a writer with me, as a reader, and I don't, so I, I but yeah. And also, just for anybody who's writing, just remember that it's, it's, it's such a long process. Yeah. It is long. I mean, this this I started writing this 10 years before it was mm. published. It sat in a drawer for a good four of those where I thought that was where it was going to live forever. Um, Some days it's still (laughs) there. You get to a point, and you ask what I did. Well, what did I like the most is what you asked, so I should answer that. Um, It's been interesting. I've connected with a bunch of people. Like, you guys are all my people, and I'm so grateful for you. Well, thank you for being here. Um, But I've also connected with people that I haven't seen or or like, even on Facebook, haven't really heard from other than, like, oh, there's that person that I went to high school with. Um, I was at an event in Chicago, and this woman showed up, and we were cheerleaders together in high school. Oh, my god! I have not seen her in 30 years, right, and and now we're, like, friendly again. Like, we write to each other, and, Mm -hmm. like, it's, And the other day, I got an email out of the blue from somebody that I used to work with that I haven't talked to, again, in, when did I last talk to Emily, honey, like 25, 30 years ago? And, you know, just, oh, I saw your name, and I realized it was you, and so that's been really cool, like, just kind of reconnecting with people through this, Um, and so that would probably be one of my favorite things, and... The thing that I like the least is that I am, I'm, I'm not very comfortable with self-promotion. Yeah. And so I was actually, which just, is I think redeeming. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's it's a redeeming just, it's, quality. It's a hard thing because I was, I actually was just writing an essay about this the other two days ago because I read this article in the Atlantic on humility, and it really resonated for me, but. I was trying to think about why it made me, as I was reading it, I kept thinking, well, yeah, but you're not, you don't have to market a book, dude. Like, You've Got to put that aside. <laughs> and it was, and it, but I realized that it, the reason that it's so uncomfortable for me is that I was raised, and my brother can attest to this, our parents were very big on, as I say, we were raised in the hot water of expectation and the cold water of humility. So you were supposed to achieve, and you were supposed to always do your best, but you were never supposed to talk about. It. And when someone said to you, "Oh, how did you do on that test?" You were never supposed to say you did well. You could say, "I did okay. How did you do?" Um, you were never supposed to toot your own horn. That was for other people to toot your horn. Like you don't do that. You don't talk about yourself. And to the point where <laughs> Zoe mentioned that I graduated from honors with honors from college during the convocation which is this like chapel thing that they do with all of the seniors at the end and it's where they tell you who won different awards and they did this thing where they had everybody who graduated with cum laude stand up and then they said okay now will all the people who cum laude sit down and now all the magna cum laude stand up and then they sat down and then all the summa cum laude and it, it, the, the there's only five of us So I stood up, and this woman turned around. She's like, oh, my God, I had no idea you were even smart. (laughs) (laughs) And that, actually, I was like, yes, I did it. I I did it. I was smart without anyone knowing it. Um, (laughs) Because that's what we were taught to be. Like, that's how you're supposed to do it. So this self-promotion stuff, like, I didn't even want to, like, I waited to send out an e-vite for this event until, like, five days before because I had so much angst about, like, is this going to sound boasty? Like, mm. oh, come celebrate with me. Like, <laughs> it, that just, it's like so anxiety-producing. My husband will attest to this. Like, I, I had to do it at 3 in the morning because I could not do it <laughs> at any time where I was thinking clearly. Um, but So that's been the hardest thing. Yeah. It's just, it's, and it, it feels very, and, and in this day and age now, that's a whole thing that writers have to do. And totally,
0: yeah. Well, anytime you need somebody to uh, boast on your behalf, you can just like give me a wink, and I'll just go. <laughs> yeah. It'll be very, very heartfelt. But it's
1: actually—I love talking about other people and other yeah, people's books. Clearly. I <laughs> do. I love talking about other people's books, and so um, that part's been really fun. Yeah, yeah. I love—I love promoting just other people, people. Like, oh my god, this book is so good, or this person's such a great writer. I love doing that. So, yeah, it's the cheerleader. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Does anyone else have any questions that we
1: can I'm going to ask something Okay. As a, as a person who hasn't had a novel in the drawer for a number of years, a couple of times what made you pull your book out again? That's a great question um, So I was, I was going to, I, so I, I put this one in a drawer and I started writing a second book which is the one that's coming out in May and um, and, but I was going to a, a writers' conference, the La Jolla Writers' Conference, which is defunct now, I think. Is it? But it was, it was in existence for a number of years, and, um, and I was going to go to a session on finding your voice. And they asked the people who were coming to the session to bring a piece of writing so that we could read, and then everybody would kind of give you, like, did your voice come through? Is it clear in these first few pages? And since I was in the process of working on the other one, I didn't really want to bring that one. So I pulled out the first few pages of this book, and I brought it with me to that session. And we were, the, I remember this too, because the, the instructor started by talking about reading poetry, and she read a poem by Mary Oliver, and she was like, you can tell right away, this is Mary Oliver. And then she read a poem by, you know, I can't even remember who the other people, I should remember. I don't remember the other guy. Um, and she was like, and you could tell right away this is him. And um, and then she said, okay, who would like to? St- we're going to start over here. And I was like the third chair in. We're going to start over here, and we're just going to have you read the first three to four pages, and then we're going to comment on your voice. We're all like. So the first two people go, and she says, oh, well, I like this, and I, this was great, and whatever the people think, and everyone's chiming in, and I get to me, and I read the first few pages, and there's dead silence in the room, and my first thought was, thank God it's in a drawer. <laughs> and, and then the instructor started to clap, and then everybody in the room started to clap, and then I was like. And then they were all like, when is it coming You're out? You're like, like, this is bothering me. I don't like it. When this. is it coming out? And I was, like, I was like, it's not. It lives in a drawer. Like This book is never coming out. And people kept coming up to me at the conference afterwards going, like, you've got to take it out of a drawer. You've got to take it out of a drawer. So I did. So I took it out of a drawer. And then I sent it to a developmental editor and got back eight single-space pages of things that I needed to fix. <laughs> And so I did that, and then I sent it out to another round of beta readers, and I made their changes, and then I finally sent it off to try to get it published. Eight single spaced pages. Eight single spaced pages. (laughs) that I need to change. So, right? So it's like, and you know, you get the letter, and you go, "Oh God! Oh no! Seriously, that's so wrong! She just doesn't understand this character," and then the next day you kind of read it again and go well maybe this is maybe and then you wait a couple more days and you read it again you go damn it yeah (laughs) right I really need to do this and I really need to do that and I really need to do all of it and um, yeah I think remember um, at the at the
0: uh, writers festival Lee Child was talking about getting edited, and he was saying, when he first got his edits back, that he was effervescent with rage. you like, yeah, he did. He that, that, that was that. so <laughs> funny. And then, like a week later, he was like, fine. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> he was a... So There's... I want to ask a question. Yes. You said that, because I'm really curious about how you did this. So you're already working with a publicist, and you get the cover of the book. And you see the red dress. How did you ever conceive of the chapter or scene where you would create that red dress in the middle of a novel that's already in process?
1: Well, so it was. So the so um, the the red dress is. there's, there was already a scene where she's. So, some scenes happen where she's. The, there's a the closet in her old bedroom from when she was a kid. And when she leaves, she leaves some things behind. She leaves behind some items that are hanging on the shell. I'm hanging on hangers. And so, there were already a couple of items that I had kind of talked about that were on the hangers. And so, when I decided to do this red dress, um, there's a scene that's that I added where it becomes like the, it's the scene where she fights back against her brother and his friends. And she comes back from, gosh, I'm ruining this for you. No. <laughs> um, because she comes back from, from prom and she's wearing this red dress to prom. And that's the, that's the scene where she fights back. And so when she leaves home, she leaves the red dress. She does not want to take it with her. And so when she goes back, when her, she has to go back home, for a reason that i won't say because i don't want to ruin everything about the book um and she goes back the red dress is still there and it's hanging there and then she finds the box from underneath the red dress so that's how i sort of kind of like but i just made up that whole scene okay. just put it in but it was the book was at the stage where i was getting something called pages the pages back mm-hmm. you know what those those are for the people who are in the audience that are not writers when you're um when your book is when your book first becomes something that looks like a book, they design the interior pages. And so it looks like a, it, instead of just being typewritten words, it's got all of the, the headers. And it's got like the, like in my book, they have these little tiny divider thingies, things. These, So you get to see what it's going to look like. And then you have to fix things like widows and orphans on the bottom of pages, bad hyphenation, things that aren't lined up properly, stuff like that. And so I was at that stage, so I could still make some changes. So I actually changed, and then the, I had to—I added the red in a few places earlier in the book to have that thread. Hmm. So I just dropped it in, like, oh, there's that scene where she's thinking in color. I'll throw red in. Great. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great achievement.
0: Yeah, that is. yeah it
1: is. Speaking of red. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. That's not a draw. Shake it up, Buster! Shake, Shake it up! Shake it up! Shake it up! Shake it up! All right. So this next set, there's two more. This next one is um, another little book next to your bed, and then the book underneath is by um, Steve Leader. He's a rabbi at the a big um, one of the biggest churches in LA, and he has been. Um, if you're watching, he's been on CNN, MSNBC, NBC, The Today Show, I think. He, he often is on The Today Show, so I'm not sure if he's been on The Today Show the last couple days. But I, I have seen him on a couple of other programs already um, speaking about what's happening in, um, in Israel. And um, so I thought it was an appropriate book to give away. I have, I have three more copies, so you're not stealing from me. Um, it's called The Beauty of What Remains. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you're gonna get. This one. And the number is 803016. Oh, six. There you go. One, two, one, two, one. I was sending messages. <laughs> All right. There you go. There you go. All right, should we do the last giveaway? Yeah. All right. All right, this one this one is three mysteries. Ooh. Um so two of them, I have not, uh, two of them I've read. One of, the one on the bottom I have not read, but she came really highly recommended to me. And so I bought it, but I haven't read it yet. Um, and she is a uh, Native American writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and her name is Marcy Rendon, I think it is. Yeah, Marcy Rendon. And it's this murder on the Red River. And then there's Under a Dark Sky by Lori Rader Day. She's, um, I just saw her. She actually was one of the Toastmasters at that one. Oh, she just sounds from, familiar. Yeah, she's a pretty well-known writer. And then, obviously, if, if any of you that have read mysteries have read Joe Nesbo, The Snowman is one of those ones that's just like so freaking scary.
0: <laughs> so, um,
1: but they're all very different. But it gives you a kind of an idea of all the different ways that mysteries can still be mysteries. So that's what this little packet is. That's a nice giveaway. <laughs>
0: Come
1: on, baby. No, just kidding. Sorry. right. 803-002. Is it 3002? 803-002. Is that you? That one.
0: All right. Winner,
1: winner. Thank yeah. you. And then I actually have, I was supposed to put this on, but I forgot, this is the other thing I wanted to just mention, I know. if anybody wants one, I only have a few, I was supposed to wear it, I forgot, today is um, World Mental Health Day, Mm. so it's green ribbon, I was supposed to wear it, but if anybody wants a green mental health day, Um, ribbon, um, as uh, maybe because I studied psychology, maybe because I'm just fascinated by what makes people tick, what makes us who we are. All of my books are, have serious psychological sh- I was going to swear. I have a sh- Speaking of <laughs> books, of like your
0: books, can we get a little snippet of what's to come? Ooh, oh, where is that? No, yeah. No, that I was the like- question I didn't ask, I thought yeah, somebody yeah, would right. ask Yeah,
1: so, so you know what the rule is. But then um, we could get a little hint. Yes. So the next book is called, it was called Capture the Light, and then they changed the name. Um, so it's now called The Other Side of Nothing. And it is a book about two young adults that meet and fall in love in a psychiatric residential psychiatric facility, and they escape on... Um, On a cross-country journey to fulfill their wildest dreams and their mothers are aware that their children though they're young adult children they are not in any condition to be on their own but authorities will do nothing to help them because they're not a danger to themselves or others at that point when they leave um and as the policeman tells one of the mothers, if we went after every young couple that falls in love and decides to take the cross-country journey, we would need a lot more people than we have. But the moms decide that they need to find them. And so with just a handful of clues, they try to find their kids. And so it's two cross-country journeys. It's the, two, the young adults and then the moms. And it goes back and forth between, at the beginning of the book, it's just between the mom and the daughter. And then when you are introduced to the mother of the, the young man, then it starts. Then she starts to be the third character that's wound in. So it's all about what it's like to struggle with a mental illness or with mental health challenges, I guess I'm supposed to say. Um, and But also what it's like to love someone who's struggling with mental health challenges. Mm-hmm. And um, what it's like when you feel like, you know, your hands are tied and there's a lot of so it's 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 about some of the fault some of the not faults but some of the areas where our current mental health system is failing us and um but also just what it's like to be a parent of someone who's as the one mom says she doesn't understand what her daughter's clearly not thinking clearly why she's being allowed to make any decisions at all Mm -hmm. Um,
0: what's the point of view that you took with
1: that so it's third person close so um so and it starts you know with so you kind of you you go inside their heads a little bit but just one at a time so it's told from those three perspectives so and what I the way it's written is you never go backward in time so it just keeps moving forward so you don't you will hear a little bit of flashback from the characters about things that happened in previous chapters, but you never. It's not like you're getting both views on the same thing happening. It just keeps moving throughout. So, and you did the research trip
0: across I the country. Did with your daughter, my right? daughter and I yeah. did? Yeah.
1: Um, we we rented a car in New York and we drove from New York to Yosemite in wow. uh, four and a half days, um, awesome. and <laughs> we. And she was she was a very good sport because um, I would stop and I'd be like I need to take a picture of that restroom. <laughs> like, yeah. Why are we taking a picture of a restroom? Of? I'm like well because my, I I need what if I need to describe a restroom like. I just... <laughs> um, and so it was kind of like yeah, but so th- and things did show up from from uh, oh and actually it was kind of in, in a similar way to the cover dictating the book. Um, my husband met us, Tom met us in Yosemite when we got there in and Colorado. Well, actually in Colorado and we drove from Colorado to Yosemite and it was the night of the election um, in twenty sixteen. Oh wow. Yeah. So we were listening to the election results as we were driving and so Tom had been in Colorado working with my son who was working on the campaign in Colorado and so and Olivia and I had stopped in Pennsylvania, worked for four hours on the campaign and then we got back in the car driving. Um the presidential campaign. No, I know but we, I'm sorry. Yeah. Just so we—they weren't—they weren't on the Trump campaign. They were on. No, no. It, you didn't yeah, <laughs> yeah, just wanted so just to clarify. Yeah, so, yeah. Clarify. So as we're driving <laughs> No, in effect. So we, no, in effect, we, we got pulled over. like, best one? One? <laughs> No, no, no. We got we got we got pulled over <laughs> and we got a ticket and I swear it's because we had a Hillary Clinton huh? uh, it, in in yeah in, in Colorado. No, no, or in, in Nebraska, Nebraska we got pulled over oh. and we got a ticket and we were not going faster than anybody else. But we were the only ones in Nebraska in that section that had a Hillary. One. You
0: had a Hillary Clinton sticker on your rental? No, bar? no, no.
1: We had the we had the park, oh, like the, the oh, paper poster um, we like, wow. in the back window because we were like, "Go Hillary!" Like you know, <laughs> driving cross country, we're like yeah, Tyson, go Hillary. And, um, <laughs> and <laughs> anyway, we get to so we so we we're driving through the mountains in Colorado, and we kept losing coverage on and. We, could, we were trying to figure out, like, what's going on, what's going on. And we were supposed to stop in Grand Junction, Colorado, and we just could not stop. We were so emotionally distraught that we kept driving and driving and driving, and we didn't, we didn't stop until, like, 3 or 4 in the morning. Um, but anyway, um, when we got there, the, we are walking around Yosemite, and we went up from this one, to this one point, and all these photographers were lined up. We were like, so me, Chad and Kathy. Oh, what are we doing here? <laughs> and it turned out that there was this rare, super rare super moon that was rising that night. Boo. And it was called the Mega Beaver Moon. I'm not <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> Can't make Mega beaver. The
0: Mega Beaver Moon.
1: And so the Beaver Moons happened in November because it's when the Native Americans had to knew they had to pull their traps in because mm. that's when everything was gonna start to freeze. And so it was a supermoon where it was like the moon and the sun and the earth were all lined up in this particular mm-hmm, yeah. direction where the moon was going to appear large and then it will, uh, will appear for 37 years. Yeah. And so I was like, that's why they're going there. That's oh. what they want to see. Yeah. And that's why they have to drive so fast because they know that it's only going to be for a couple of days. <coughs> where nice. they can, and so it changed the whole yeah. structure is, of the book. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool research trip.